All right, and we are live for episode number 18 of the Before the Trainwreck series. I'm joined today by my friend, Sterling Cooper. How are you doing, brother? Hey, doing, Rich. And we're not brothers, despite the fact that we have the last name, Rich. Despite we have a similar look and the same surname, we'll get to the creation of your name, um, you know, with your Batman origin story. But for those of you that don't know, uh, Sterling is an adult film star. Uh, I tried to check your um, jobs. I don't know what you call them, jobs or whatever, but it looks like you've got over 196 different scenes. Sorry, I just got a bit of, I just got a bunch of feedback. Sorry, man. Oh, you're getting feedback from the broadcast running on another Yeah, one, yeah. I just closed that window there. My bad. Perfect. Uh, That's where it's coming from. Yeah, so sorry. Um, on on the listing here, so when I search your name, uh, it takes me to a IAFD.com site, and it looks like you got like 196 plus scenes. I actually have uh, over 300. They don't really count. Um, there's a bunch of smaller websites I've shot for that don't end up on that, that yeah. list. They tend to focus mainly on like the big American companies. Okay. Yeah. So needless to say, I mean, you've got a pretty decent notch count. You got a lot of experience. Uh, this is not new for you. Yeah. No, I mean, I had a, I had a pretty big notch count before I even got into the industry. To be so, honest. yeah. So let's talk about your move into the industry because um, you weren't St Sterling Cooper, you know, your entire life. You were just a guy in Australia that was running his own business. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I ran a paleo meal delivery business back in Australia. Um, that's kind of how I learned about like nutrition and getting in shape and hitting the gym, uh, all that sort of coalesced. Yeah, and then I uh, kind of got sick of it. After a while, I had some falling out with my business partner and then so he left and I sold the business and I decided to get into porn because I'd, I'd kind of always wanted to do it as a teenager. That was like the teenage fantasy was being in porn. and Coming from like a really small country town in rural Australia, you don't really get exposed to much of that much, you know, like celebrity or stardom or like film mm -hmm. stars and things like that. So it, it was quite glamorized. And how old were you when you decided to sell your business? 29. What was it? Oh, okay. So dude, that, that was recently then. Cause you're what? 33. Yeah. Yeah. So, so four years ago, so you've been running this business doing paleo food delivery. And what about, leaving that and getting into porn appeal to you aside from unlimited sex with beautiful women. That was the main reason, Rich. The, the <laughs> Is that right? Women. Uh, it was also like, I, I kind of locked myself into like a prison of my own making with that business. Uh, the way I'd set it up, it, it was very hard for me to extract myself from the hands-on day-to-day nature of it. I mean, I've, I've heard your story about, um, you know, your finance business and stuff. So I wasn't really able to separate myself too much from it. Mm -hmm. And the the income had kind of capped, you know. And so I, and I, I've had, prior to that, I did a, uh, I ran an underwear business, which wasn't as successful, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. did a Kickstarter before that. And then before that, I was a uh, pharmaceutical chemist. I have a chemistry degree. So like I've bounced through various different uh, fields and experiences primarily because I, I get, I'm the kind of guy that can get bored with things very quickly. You know, so I'm always looking for that, like that new adventure, that new excitement, something that I can learn from scratch, something I've got no idea about and I can learn it from scratch and, and it, it just presents a new challenge for me. So that's a lot of times cool. when guys kind of fall into something that they feel is their purpose, it's like taking a frying pan to the forehead and it's real obvious. Mm. Was there a frying pan to the forehead moment when you got into porn, when you said, okay, I don't want to be a chemist. I don't want to deliver paleo food. Don't want anything to do with any of these other things. Um, I guess I wouldn't say it's like, it'd be pretty funny to say that being in the adult film industry was my purpose in life. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like it's uh, um, last time we talked though, you said that you can't see yourself doing anything else. That's correct. Cause in I love, future, love this job. Yeah. There's no, there's no, I'm, I've, like I said, I've, I've done a lot of different kinds of work. There is no job quite like this. It is unbelievably fun, even more fun than you might imagine. 
Yeah, I want to talk about that. Before we go there, how did you arrive at Sterling Cooper? So for those guys that are watching that are unfamiliar, most people aren't using their real names when it comes to adult film. Does anybody use a real name? Some girls will use their uh, middle and last names. Okay. So how did you arrive at Sterling Cooper? Uh, Sterling came, well, first of all, after I picked my name, everyone assumed that I'd gotten it from Mad Men because that's the name of the, the advertising agency. I had never even seen Mad Men until after I'd picked the name. Uh, but Sterling came from the Adult Swim cartoon Archer, the main character Sterling, this, uh, this ridiculous spy character. Love that show, so I picked Sterling. And the Cooper came from uh, Bradley Cooper because I like Bradley Cooper's character in the movie Limitless. Mm. So I just smashed them together. I actually, there was actually a few other names on, on like the potential name list. And I basically just DM'd all the girls in my phone and said, hey, which of these like three names sounds the sexiest? And Sterling Cooper was the winner. <laughs> it's funny you say that because women tend to appreciate the last name Cooper. Um... I mean, I've got nothing else to compare it to. Obviously, you had a different last name before. How do how does that normally get received? Uh, this is much better received. <laughs> there you yeah, go. My, my real name's a bit. My my real name is not a sexy name. Yeah, that's fine. You can keep it under the radar. For those of you that aren't familiar with the origin of Cooper, it's actually um, they would tag the name Cooper to anybody that was a barrel maker in medieval mm -hmm. England. Um, so everybody had a task and anybody that was making barrels was known as Coopers, believe it or not. But, uh, yeah, it's, um, let's keep going. So as far as why you love this more than anything that you've ever done, aside from the obvious, I mean, there's gotta be some, some other things beyond just being able to sleep with beautiful women. Cause I mean, anybody with looks money status, you know, that has their shit sorted, uh, that's a high value man can really have access to as many women as he wants. Yeah. Yeah. So there's got to be more to it than just the women part. So the the pay is actually really really good for like the time you you spend on set. Like my mm -hmm. hourly rate is like higher than it's ever been in my life. And I I earn more money doing this than I ever did. I mean prior to this my highest paying job was being like an industrial chemist for a pharmaceutical company. Mm -hmm. Like and I earn more doing this with like a third of the What is hour the hourly rate for a male porn star? Well, you're looking at about $100 an hour if you break down like how long you're actually on set for and what you're getting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there's that. Obviously, like there's the obvious reasons why, you know, right. anyone would enjoy this job. But then there's like the camaraderie and I guess the freedom of the industry itself. You're not beholden to, to the kind of... PC-less, I mean, the, the PC humorless environment of the corporate world. You know, you can you can go to set and you can crack all kinds of jokes. You know, all my co-stars, I'm like, I'm, I'm kissing them on the cheek, I'm slapping them on the ass. Even like the PAs and the assistants and sometimes when I have a female director, like you can, there's all kinds of flirting going on and you've got, you don't have to worry about, you know, getting a, a, a sexual harassment allegation for flirting with somebody on a porn set. They do have sexual harassment allegations, but that's for things that are a little bit more serious. But yeah, it's the freedom aspect of it. And obviously, I'm only working 15 days out of the month. I have the rest of the time to focus on my health, my fitness, uh, to you know keep my relationships with my friends strong. There's, the work-life balance of this is like nothing I've ever done. And... Like, what was the transition like from your paleo business into adult film? Um, I think you said when, and if you guys haven't watched it, we did a, a broadcast about two, two and a half weeks ago on Rolo's channel, um, more focusing on the sexual dynamics part of things. But I think you said something along the lines of you're doing escorting um, and then you got involved in uh, like fulfilling either like married couples fetishes where you basically cucking the guy he'd sit in the corner while you just go to town on his wife sort of thing like there was a transition into porn or was that part of it or like how did that all happen again yes yeah, so that that part that was, that was part of it so basically just to rewind back uh before i did i started the paleo business i got involved in the swingers scene as a single guy which is very hard to do mm -hmm. um and from that i started you know i got invited to parties by girls and then 
was, you know, uh, uh, having exhibitionist sex and group sex and stuff like that. Realized I was pretty good at it and I didn't have a problem performing in front of other people. So then I transitioned because I had some, I, in that swinging scene, I had met some girls who were escorts and they had told me, you'd be good at being, at, at being an escort. You should try it. Mm. And it's legal back in Australia. So I, there was no, uh, there's no risk involved really with that. So I tried it, was pretty good at it. was very successful at it. Like you said, I was, uh, a lot of my, my work was banging a dude's wife while he sat in the corner and watched. What um, was that and- like? Like, did you ever, were you ever at it going like, I can't believe I'm doing this? Yeah. The first few times I was like, <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe this guy is like paying me to, he, and he's the one paying me. He's the one paying me to do this. It was his idea. It wasn't her idea. It was his idea. How does that go down? Does he like give you a high five and toss you a couple hundred and be like, all right, I'll, you like, know, I'll call you in a couple weeks or. Like you walk in the house, shakes your hand, sits you down. You can have a drink or two. Or like they sort of host you uh-huh. to make you feel relaxed. They make you feel great. And then it's like, all right, I'm going to sit here. Uh, you two go at it. And, right. You know, entertain his wife. But I had, man, I had one of my first experiences doing that. It was pretty funny. So this, uh, this, this couple booked me. Went around to their house, uh, and they had a couple of dogs, uh, and we're sitting around in the backyard, and they they they'd smoked some weed. I don't smoke weed, but I don't care if people do around me. So they'd smoked some weed, and uh, they were getting a little bit high. So they were kind of not really aware of what was going on. And she came, sat down next to me, and we started kissing. And these dogs, man, they said, "I can't know what. I think I might have, I might have been a, I might have been a Rottweiler or something." So. She's here. I'm making out with her. This dog is right in my face, growling its head off. Like, like it's going to bite my fucking, ju- sorry, going to bite my jugular out. He's on the other side of the room, just high as a kite, just chilling. She's like high as a kite, chilling. Neither of them are like aware that this dog is going to tear And the dog's apart. not having it. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe we should move this inside. I'm just a little bit concerned about Fluffy over here. <laughs> And that was one of my first gigs. It was pretty funny. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, I mean, you've got some stories to tell, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A couple. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't believe, I mean, I can see it like, yeah. Okay. So I can see it, you know, I can see a dog do it. I can see how uncomfortable that would be yet. You just carry on with the business and just, all right, let's get on with it. Let's go inside and finish this up and leave the dogs out here. I want to get wow. my paycheck, man. I want to get paid. Yeah. Yeah. And, how long did you do that before you did your first film? And what was that like? So I was doing, I was escorting on and off. So I, I would, I would do it for like six months and take six months off. I was doing it on and off for maybe. Was it mostly guys that wanted to be cucked? Like watch you, have you, have you do the wives or? Oddly enough, it, it depended upon what city I was in. Mm-hmm. So this is a weird thing I found was where, where I started was uh, Perth in Western Australia, which is basically, a it's, it's a capital city, but it's predominantly uh, mining workers who do fly-in, fly-out work. So what they'll do okay. is they'll, they'll fly to them. They get paid really good money too. They'll fly to the mines in the in like the outback. Yeah, they're there for three weeks and then three weeks off. Exactly. Yeah, and then they come back with a ton of cash. We used to call them cashed-up bogans. Yeah, I that have a guy in my community that's a, a fire a firefighter medic for mines in the middle of Australia somewhere. So in that city, which is predominantly blue collar workers, yeah. there was a lot more of this style of booking where it's like a dude wanting to see his wife get banged by someone else. Were these guys yeah. alpha males or beta males? Like how would you describe them no, if you were to placehold them? I would I would describe them as like your typical sitcom dad. Oh, like the butt of all jokes, incompetent, loser. Like the guy who sort of self-deprecates and makes like whatever she wants kind of jokes mm-hmm. happy wife happy life yeah that kind of stuff yeah that's the kind of kind of dude um, well bill you know i was thinking maybe this like sterling guy that we find here in the newspaper would be nice if he porked me yeah but okay, it's whatever you the, want sweetheart it was always the guy's idea though it was his idea to, it for it always always the dude's idea so here's what here was my theory is like these guys are away she never protested though like when she set eyes on you she said <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
I think what was happening is these dudes are, are away for two or three weeks yeah. on a mine site with only dudes and they're just watching endless amounts of porn and that's just getting this like fantasy in their head. Oh, I want to see my wife get fucked. I want to see my wife yeah. get fucked. And I come home and they, they book someone like me. Did you ever have women pay for it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I This is the other interesting thing I found. So Blue Collar city, city, lots of this sort of cuckolding stuff. In a city like a more metropolitan place like Melbourne or Sydney, it's uh, white-collar business women who are yeah. earning like six figures a year, who don't have, who are past the wall, like in their thirties, whose dating options are very limited. They can't, like, either they can't find a guy, or they're in a situation. Uh, career-wise, where it would look bad if they were seen. So they're so they're paying you for discretion. They're basically paying you to service and then leave. Then, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, but there's also with with the the when it was couples, it's just about the sex. Yeah. When it was these women on their own, it was always like a dinner date, and you know, like it wasn't just about the sex. It was more about like giving them that experience. Of being with, like, an attractive, put-together guy. It's funny. Have you... Um, I don't know if you're familiar with this guy. I got him coming on next week for uh, before the train wreck. Uh, C- CW Confidence. He's another Aussie. No. Anyway, he wrote a book on um, uh, seeking, uh, sugar dating, and his experience in Australia. So he's got, he's got an interesting... St- well, I'm going to save that for next Monday, but you guys are going to want to watch that one. But there's, but there's similar sort of elements of women kind of like looking just to get the rocks off uh, with some discretion, but in a different kind of way with this. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, okay, so, so you're doing escorting. What was the transition in your first film like? So how did you land that? Like, do you have an agent? Do you just answer an ad in the paper? How does that normally work? Well, when I, when I started, I was in Australia. Right, and there isn't a really big porn scene in Australia. There's literally only a couple of companies that would shoot guy girl stuff. There's a few more that shoot solo girl videos. Mm-hmm. There's only really two that shot guys and girls together, and that's in Melbourne. So I had to move from Perth, fly across, leave everything behind, fly across the country to Melbourne to pursue this. Uh, but what I did was I got a couple that I knew from the swinging scene. And I said, hey, do you mind if I film us and use this demo footage to like pitch a director? And they were fine with it as long as we didn't share it with anyone else. Mm-hmm. So I like, you know, got, got, like, got a camera and stuff and filmed a bunch of stuff and then put it in a Dropbox. And, and uh, yeah, I guess like wrote them. According to the director, it was the most professional application he'd ever seen uh, for a dude wanting to get into porn. And okay. then, uh, yeah, like a, two months later, he was, he signed me up. I did sign up. He he, he uh, booked me for a shoot, mm-hmm. and then I moved to Melbourne. And I basically because I I moved to Melbourne, I kept doing the escorting as well because that's a big hub uh, in Australia. And I started to network with all the escorts, both male and female, and all the porn stars in Australia because that's mainly where the industry is. And uh, and there's a lot of crossover in Australia. Basically, everyone who's done porn in Australia is also an escort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then built up about six months of experience there. And then I le- used that experience and a couple of connections there to uh, get my first scenes in the UK. Again, pitching people by email. And I'm like, basically, you know, basically, here's my resume. Here's all the stuff I've shot. You know this person. He shoots something very similar. Would you be interested in shooting me? Moved to London on a work visa, and then was in was there for six months, and I basically piggybacked like that across the world. Was that a playing playing to win approach to getting into adult film? Because we were talking before we went live about the difference between playing to win and playing not to lose, and you said there were some guys that would play not to lose and and kind of play a little more conservatively that that didn't get the same amount of opportunities that you did. Yeah, basically, there was a few guys I met along my journey. So I went, like I said, I went from Australia, then I shot in England, then I shot in uh, Budapest in Hungary, and then I shot in Prague in the Czech Republic, and then I came to the US. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've bounced around, right? And every time, so like when I first started, I left everything behind 
I sold my business. My family was all there. All my friends are there. All my connections are in Perth. I left, packed everything up, left, went to Melbourne just to pursue this thing. And then when I went to the UK, same thing. And along the way, I kept running into guys who were trying to break into the industry, but they were, um, what's the expression? Like they weren't diving into the deep end like I was. They were putting, they were, they were putting a foot in the, in the cold water to see what it feels like. Mm-hmm. You know, they would still have their regular day job. For me, it was a case of I burnt all my bridges. Mm-hmm. I had no choice. I had to succeed at this, or I was going to be broke. And don't get me wrong; like it, it, it got it got rough. Do you think that, that 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 would have made a difference? Like, there's that old expression that you burn the ship on the shores when you arrive in the new land, sort of thing. Yeah. Do you think that 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 gets you more motivated to get exactly what you want out of the business and to be more successful, or or, or no? Hundred percent, man. That's like that's literally what I did. I didn't have I I sold my my business. I had that was my source of income. I'd sold my business. Um, my face was on the internet now, right? So it's even though there's not as much stigma being a guy doing this as there's being a girl. Uh, you're not really gonna get a corporate job if you if you're known to have been doing adult work, right? Mm-hmm. So I have no choice. I had to, had to make this work. So that means, you know, if I'm not shooting, I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, well, how do I, how do I network with this, network with this person? Cause I know this person is really important in the industry. How do, how do they, who do they know that I know and how can I get in touch with them? And you're, you're just figuring out as much as you possibly can behind the scenes with the little information you have. And if you're obsessed, I was obsessed with this man. I would, I looked up every single uh, YouTube interview I could find from male porn stars like just trying to learn as much as I possibly could about the industry, about how they do their job, about how they network, about how they succeeded, so that I would have, you know, 1% advantage over the next guy who was trying to get shot and cast. So it's safe to say that you got obsessed with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It became have you always been that way with everything you did? You know, with the paleo business and the chemists and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, pretty much. Like I become pretty evangelical about the stuff I get into. Yeah. yeah. Like when I was doing the paleo business, like th- I did that because I'd uh, <laughs> I'd came out came out of a really bad breakup, right? And I was like, I I, I always use uh, I've always used like pain as a motivator, or like I guess I would call it like the fuck you complex. Mm-hmm. Like if I create this enemy in my mind. It really motivates me to basically be like stuff that person, like they made the wrong decision. I'm going to prove them wrong, and I'm going to go out and better myself. Mm. And that was an example of that. So, bad breakup. I uh, I got heavily into like diet and fitness through the paleo diet. Got shredded, best shape I've ever been in my ever, I'd ever been in my life. Uh, tons of female attention, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of found out that, okay, not, I kept bragging to people about the diet. I was like, man, you got to try this diet. You got to try this diet. It's great. It's great. But everyone kept saying it was too hard, too much time involved with the cooking. So I was like, mm-hmm. hmm, there's a problem to be solved here. I'm going to do this for these people and sell prepackaged meals that, so they can stick to the diet and they can save time and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And we built like a, yeah, we ended up doing like half a million a year in revenue for like three years. With okay. that business, okay. Um, how's your view of women changed since you got into adult film industry? Like, what have you learned that you previously didn't see? Um, I guess from being uh, in the swinging scene and being in the escorting side of things, I'd kind of already had this exposure, but compared to my early. 20s let's say like fresh out of university and and naive uh not red pilled you i didn't realize when i was younger how perverted and like how perverted some women can be and especially how much women love to be submissive and love to be dominated and and even and there's still quite a lot of them that love to be even degraded and humiliated, just taken control of. That's not what our society tells people. Our society tells people 
this Disney fantasy of, you know, good guys finish first and, mm-hmm. you know, all this crap. And when you get like this behind the curtain look at, you know, women's fantasies and the way they respond to things sexually, it's like, oh man, we've been lied to our entire life about. When did you first pick up on that? Was that first, first year? year? Pretty much like straight away. Cause I was hanging out with lots of, when you, when I'm networking in the industry, I'm hanging out with lots of professional escorts and I'm hanging out with lots of yeah. porn stars and things. And, you know, everyone's just gossiping, talking about work, you know, and so they, and they're very open sexually. So they're all just talking about fantasies, talking about sex, talking about these kind of things. What are the, I mean, without being too, uh, you know, difficult with the YouTube algorithms, what were some of the crazy ones that you heard? Um, well, for me, like one of the one of the most interesting ones I've come across recently was a, is a girl who uh, pays for her accountant all of her yearly accounting fees with jars of pee. <laughs> and she she described it to me. She was like, "I'm like, so how does this process actually work?" She's like, "Well, I I go in to do my taxes. I bring all my my tax information with him." He gives me a, a jar. I go to the bathroom, fill it up. I come back, give it to him, and then he does my taxes. And what does he do with it? I didn't ask. <laughs> you didn't, <laughs> didn't go there. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go there, Rich. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I swear, man. Sometimes I could turn this show into a comedy show the way I go about it, but I got to be careful because this is public. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I got a. I got a couple of carded questions here. I want to throw at you, which which will which will generate some interesting dialogue. Um, what does a porn, what does a male adult film star daydream about? Money for me. Yeah. I just daydream about making money. What do you do with money? Like why is money important to you? Money is important to me because I want to be free and there's nothing less free than being poor and being constantly concerned about paying the bills. Mm-hmm. It's mentally draining. It's mentally, it occupies your brain so much. And I've been there. I've been like like on this journey. Like I said, I became obsessed with it. It was, you know, a a burn the boats kind of situation. I got to the, I got to one point where I had literally, I literally had $12 in the world and I'm in a foreign country with no, no support network, nothing. Right. And I pulled, and I pulled myself out of that. Mm -hmm. Right. But that, like coming from a from that position, I never want to feel that feeling again. That feeling of like just dread of like, holy shit, I might end up on the street, right? So let's talk about money for a minute. So what's your relationship with money like? Like when somebody asked me to kind of get the ball rolling. So if somebody asked me like, how do you view, view money, Rich? Then my response would be something along the lines of, um, well, I see it as a store of value. And if you accumulate wealth, then that means that you've created value for people and they've given you money in exchange for that. Um, so it's almost like it's a yardstick, you know, the way that I see it. And I also see it from the perspective that it creates options too, right? Like it, like it gives you the ability to raise the middle finger and tell other people to pound sand that you don't want to work with. Um, it gives you the ability to maneuver and, and pick up and leave whenever you need to, um, so I see it as like a freeing tool to certain to certain degree as well. I'm just I'm just curious what you see money as, like what your relationship with it is like. So one of my mentors, this is before um, the porn side of things, one of my mentors taught me uh, early on to think of money as concentrated time. Mm. Right. So a really good example he gave me. Uh, why do you pay a plumber? Right. You pay a plumber because there's a certain amount of like his skill set and his expertise, his knowledge of how to fix a problem with your plumbing is comes from years of knowledge. So the time it would take for you to learn those same skills, learn that same knowledge, you can save that time by simply paying this man. Right? So every, like an every transaction not every transaction, but most transactions are basically a concentration of time. You're like, you're giving, you're ex- I mean, when you work a nine to five job, you're exchanging your time for money. But when you're paying people for things, for their skills and their expertise, you're paying them so you don't have to spend that time and energy 
learning and doing that exact same thing yourself. So the more money you have, if the way I look at it is the more time you actually have in your life. Mm, you're, spending, you're spending less time on these nitty gritty things you don't really want to be doing. Yes, it's the best way to put it, I'd say. Um, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? Hmm. You know, I'm pretty I'm pretty harsh on myself when it comes to things. And I I always wish I was more disciplined than I am. I mean, my friends and family would say I'm a pretty, dis- I'm a pretty disciplined guy and I'm a pretty, uh, um, pretty harsh on myself, but maybe that's just why I, I'm, you know, relatively successful in my life because I, I see myself as lazy. And so that makes me want to be more disciplined and push myself more. So where did you learn that from? Where did that skill of being harsh on yourself come from? It, I've had that since a very young age, man. I was, uh, I was like top of my class in school, like always. Whenever I was, I was the guy who came home from school and just sat down at his homework like every friggin' night mm. while everyone else is like, you know, out like socializing and things. And I think that came, I think to be honest, that came from like a low self esteem. Like when I was younger, to be perfectly honest, that was sort of like my way mentally of like making up for my lack of belief in myself. Like, okay, if I can succeed at this, it proves I have worth. And that, that self-esteem issue isn't there anymore, obviously. But the discipline and the mentality behind working hard is still there. Do you ever get criticized for being too harsh on yourself? Uh, I, I, in the past, from, from girlfriends and things, I have, yeah. But I'm like, well, you like me because I'm, I'm this person. So mm-hmm. that opinion means nothing. Yeah, I, I always find that strange. I mean, I, I've, I've always been harsh on myself uh throughout my entire life i mean i'm first born i got two younger brothers and they always seem to look at me like well you just seem to get shit done right but um i find that if you're real hard on yourself that the world will be a lot easier on you because the world's a pretty harsh place to begin with Mm -hmm. so if you set the bar real high then you know when shit comes at you you've kind of you know you've kind of conditioned yourself to deal with that yeah absolutely man if you like nobody has as higher expectations of me as I do. So like if I, if I fall short of my expectations, I'm always meeting everyone else's expectations. Mm. You know, I got another question for you. Um, what are three things that you believe you need in order to be happy? Close friends or and or family would be a primary one. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, when I was uh, before I sort of started doing my entrepreneurial things and I was in my early 20s I traveled around the world went to about six different countries and went to a lot deliberately went to a lot of really poor areas like lived in ghettos lived in slums just to sort of see it and man like the happiest people in the world no matter where I went always were really close with their family and or had like a tribe, a couple of really close friends that they could depend on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the older I've gotten, I've like reduced my social circle quite significantly down to a few guys who I know have my back no matter mm-hmm. what, you know, and my relationship with my, with my family has strengthened as well over that time. You know, when you're younger, you sort of, you kind of take for granted that you have your your parents and your siblings and things, and uh, yeah, as I've gotten older, I'm really focused down on on making sure I'm staying in constant contact with people because, you know, man, like where we're at right now with like the whole quarantine, lockdown, COVID thing, mm-hmm. like if the world came to an end, who's really got your back? Really, you know, it's it's there's not that many people who are going to risk their life for you other than your family and or guys who are in your tribe. Have you read Jack Donovan stuff? Oh yeah. I love the way of men. Love yeah. Okay. So you get the idea of the way of the, the gang and you draw a perimeter. Yeah. Talk about that. Um, I mean, not as often as I do publicly, but mostly in my community when we're ever, we ever hang out. But I think it's really important. Like a lot of guys will keep people around. I think women do it far worse than guys do. Like women will keep dozens of women around just because they went to school with them. 
and they would be ostracized if Becky got thrown out, you know, with Karen or something like that. But I think, you know, for me anyway, like whenever I would hang out with larger groups of, of people, after a while, you know, you start to realize I'd rather have like a like a close knit group of like SEAL Team Six rather than an entire infantry brigade of whatever it is, a hundred or two hundred grunts, right? Because you just know the guys more intimately, and you know that you can rely on them and lean on them. And uh, I'm I'm totally on board with that. And I think that guys really miss that when it comes to approaching their lives. And and they make too many they make too many excuses for losers and why they keep losers around in their lives when they should really just let them go. And I'm not saying you know you want to be a dick about it or anything like that, but just you just kind of put some distance, you know, between you and people that are anchors. I always say there's anchors and sales, right? You know, the sales will kind of pull you along and the anchors will be the ones that hold you back. Yeah. That's good. I like that analogy. Yeah. Like I've got, I've got buddies from back in university who I'll still, and, and, and high school, you know, like my, my oldest friends, I'll still stay in touch with them, but they're not, they're not the sales like you just described. Right. It's not like they're holding me back though. I, you know, I don't really, uh, uh, burn bridges socially i just sort of if they're not staying in touch with me okay i won't stay in touch with them mm -hmm. i don't have a reason to constantly stay in touch with them unlike my core group of guys who Do you I ever know. burn bridges or blow them up or anything very rarely man like there's only been a couple of people i've burnt the bridge with and that's and that's because they've tried to fuck me over i've had a couple of um what do you call them i've had a couple of sociopaths yeah uh in my life so i'm i'm now i'm good at identifying them thankfully yeah. There's something, you know, there's a silver lining there. Uh, but it takes, a, yeah, I don't really get fucked over that much. And I don't really have, I don't really offend people that much, mm. which maybe, a, maybe that's something I should change about myself. I kind of like the idea of pissing people off sometimes. You ever get called an asshole? Oh, all the time. Yeah. When oh. I'm being honest, yeah. when I'm being honest, I get called an asshole. <laughs> well, they, they usually say if somebody's got a problem with the facts, the problem's not with the facts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's right. Um, here, I got a quick question I want to throw at you from one of our uh, channel members. He said, uh, Do you have any really good networking advice uh, you've learned over the years? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He's talking about business networking specifically. Yep. Um, I think, and I think, honestly, I think this is one of my strengths, to be, to, to be fair. So years ago, I read a book, and it's a fantastic book. I recommend everybody should check it out. It's called Trust Me, I'm Lying, mm. Confessions of a Media Manipulator by Ryan Holiday. I and met that, Ryan a few years ago. Great guy, right? Yeah. He, uh, that book's really opening, and it's, I mean, it's a bit dated now. It still holds true, though. It holds true. It holds true. Uh, and one of the key lessons I learned out of that was how to it was a combination of that and one of my first mentors drilling into me the idea of offer value and solve problems for people so it's easy to network with people if you can sell them on the idea of your presence if there's a win-win for both of you obviously you want something from them or you want you know you want to learn from them or connect with them or whatever yeah but what what are they getting out of it like there has to be a reason for them to want like for them to even well for a start to get their attention right and then for them to want to associate with you there has to be some kind of benefit for them do 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 people ever reach out to you on social media and say hey i you know i saw that you're in town at this restaurant and i'd love to pick your brain sort of thing and have a coffee with you you can tell me a little bit more about yourself and your business and blah 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 i don't really get that kind of pitch i get dudes every day saying hey i want to get into porn how do i get into porn yeah um and it's and this is a really good example of what i'm talking about like there's guys who will send the message hey cast me in a porno like they they're asking something of me they're trying they want me to do all the work for them mm -hmm. like well why the hell why on earth would i do that you know but then they don't get it they don't get it guys like this I, don't, I i've never really understood that approach myself i've always kind of understood the intrinsic idea of like offering value to people yeah but then I'll, I, there'll, there'll be guys who are who will ask me in a very respectful polite way in a very specific way they're like Hey, I've, I heard this or I read this about you or this or that. Here's one really specific 
question and then I'll take the time to answer them because they're being polite. Um, but it's that's very different from someone just generically saying, how do I get into porn? Oh, mate, like watch some YouTube videos for a fucking start. Yeah. Like there's plenty of interviews out there. There's some work to do that, that kind of leads up to the to the cheat codes because it's almost like going like it would be like you or I reaching out to Elon Musk and say, hey, I want to build electric cars. You know, can I pick your brain? Um, I had a mentor once that told me that you always put put um, put a price between you and your uh, time when somebody wants it, because obviously they look at you as an expert and they want to they want to pick your brain. But really what they're saying when they want to pick your brain is they want to pick your pocket because they want to steal your time from you and steal your wealth. <laughs> and guys, guys don't get this. So I get messages every day, emails, DMs, whatever from guys saying, hey, you know, I saw you were driving in this part of town. I live in the area. It would be so awesome to have a, you know, to buy you a drink or buy you a coffee and pick your brain. Or I'd like help with this. Or I have a business idea I want to start off the ground. Or I'm thinking about marrying this person, but there's some red flags. What do you think? And it's like the thing that um, I learned a, a while ago from actually it was from Tim Ferriss in the four hour work week, I think, because he got into angel investing and what he was doing. I mean, he was living in his mom's minivan at the time. And I think what he was doing, if I recall, was he was donating a lot of his time uh, in Silicon Valley to basically get in front of people. And he was just trying to solve the problems. Right. And I think that if you approach people that you want to, that you want to get help from, is you have to offer something to them first because they don't know you. They don't They don't have a relationship with you. I think that one of the things that a lot of guys do when they see you on screens, I mean, they see me on a different screen than you. Actually, they probably see us on the same screen just for different reasons. But when they see you on a screen, it's almost like they form a relationship with you because they've seen you, you know, two, three, four, five, ten, 10 or 15 times. And they think, okay, I know this guy. I know what he's thinking. I know the topics he talks about or his moves when it comes to whatever he's doing on adult film. And they just reach out blindly saying, hey, you know, uh, big fan, I'd like to talk to you because I'm a big fan. But they don't get that you have to offer something first, right? Yeah. Um, it's really, really important to make sure you offer somebody something first before you go demanding their time for insert reason, right? Well, I think there's a misconception like with the example you just gave there of guys saying, oh, you're in my city. I'd love to take, I'd love to do a buy you lunch or buy you a beer or something, right? There's a misconception in their mind of uh, like that, how valuable that is to you, Yeah. right? To them, someone buying them a meal or buying them a, a, a pint is really cool. And they would probably make friends with somebody at the bar over yeah. such a thing. But to a guy like you, whose time is far more valuable and can buy his own damn food, it's not the same value proposition. So I think they're coming at it from yeah, I, their, they're coming at it from their perspective, not from your perspective, which is a problem. And that, yeah. And that's exactly what they've got to learn to switch up. Um, if your closest friend wrote a book about your life, what would the title be? I think I asked, I actually, I think I asked my, my best friend this like six months ago and he said, if I can remember the answer correctly, it was, um, ah, oh, something like, Finding conservative values in an unusual place. And you found, is that because you found conservative values in adult film? It's because uh, through my experiences, I have become more conservative in my, in my view on life than I used to be. How so? Uh, well, I, I mean, these days being a, what you would call a classical liberal is considered right wing. Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm still uh, I'm I'm very much still a classical liberal, but I believe fundamentally in family, in you know, the the uh, the structure of that you know the relationship with the father and the mother and the children in a family should be you know like in that order. Uh, economically conservative, I don't like my tax money going towards things that I deem to be you know pointless and, and inappropriate you know mm-hmm. and i guess a part of that comes from age but a lot of it has come from just experiencing uh like a, a really a, a interesting perspective on the world given the, uh, the the jobs i've done i guess you could say interesting what did you want to be when you were growing up was it was it always an adult film I, when i was the first thing i wanted to be was a paleontologist paleont okay ross yeah tell us more about that 
Well, it was just Jurassic Park came out at the same time. <laughs> Everybody wanted to be. I mean, actually, not everyone wanted. Just me. I wanted to be a paleontologist. Okay. Uh, I think it was. I think it was like a rock star, and then a paleontologist, and then an actor, and then a. And then I wanted to become an academic, and that's kind of when I went to university and, and went down the chemistry route. Have you ever played the role of a paleontologist in Alat film? Because I mean, you've played roles of many things over two hundred scenes. I've played, I've played a lot of different things, but sadly, a paleontologist is not one of them yet. I've played, I've played a doctor many times, I've played a, a teacher many times. What, <laughs> what's, what's a role that you've played where you're like, I, I, I just can't believe I just did that? Uh, whenever I, I've, and I've done this like three times, playing a Catholic priest. Okay. I've done that, I actually have my own Catholic priest outfit okay. because I've done it that many times. But one of the, one of the funniest roles we did uh, it was the whole movie was about like a convent and I was this Catholic priest that came in and they got me to do, uh, oh, what's it called? It's like a, a classic Catholic prayer. Um, communion. Yeah. Like some kind of communion prayer. Right. Yeah. It was this long, it's like a, I had to cheat. I'd like cut it out and stick it into the Bible so I could read it and, and cheat my lines. But the funny thing was everyone else in the movie grew up Catholic and knew it word for word, except for me, who actually right. had to say the damn thing. Interesting. Uh, share an interesting fact about yourself that not many people would know. Well, I guess uh, the most on point thing right now is the, that I've sort of started talking about recently is the fact that I I managed to grow my uh, my male appendage before I got into the adult industry. Let's talk about that because somebody asked me in a message uh, today. I think it was on the Twitter post. Let me just grab it real quick because apparently we did not satisfy his question last time. <laughs> uh, um, where is my post here so I can pull it up? There it is. What did he say here? Uh, when he was on with Rolo last time, he was going to start explaining how to extend your man piece naturally. Then Rolo interrupted him and we lost it. Remind him today. There's your reminder, <laughs> my friend. I, I, I like the use of his word man piece. I'm going to use that from now on. Good. Yeah. Uh, well, basically, there's, there's two ways that you like enlarge. Like, well, I'll go three ways. Three ways you enlarge your penis in general, right? First is you, you lengthen the ligaments that attach the penile shaft to the, to the pubic bone. Second is you elongate the shaft itself. And this is done through micro, causing micro tears in the shaft. It's, it's, it's similar to what you would do when you're bodybuilding. Like you, you, know, you, you, you lift weights, the muscle tears, it grows back bigger, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not quite the same because the muscle is different. Uh, a, a good way of looking at it is um, there's a tribe in um, Myanmar, I think it is, mm -hmm. where the women wear these rings around the necks and they, they get their elongated necks. Right. I think everyone has seen an image of this at some point in their life. It's a very similar concept to that, where you're stretching it out. So, and the third way you do it is on the girth side of things, as you ex you cause uh, the volume in the penis to expand, and so you increase the size this way. Rather, is this with exercises? Do you put rings around it like they do with the next situation? Don't do that. You don't have to, you don't have to put. Uh, consecutive rings around your, your penis, uh, but there's various different exercises you can do, um, and I talk about all this in my in my book. Yeah, for those of you that are watching, uh, he has a Gumroad product. How I grew my man part, we'll say. Man part. Another yeah. industry secrets. <laughs> it's uh, less than hundred bucks. I think uh, for all the men out there that are wondering how to have a little more impact, uh, probably not a bad idea. Yeah, and it's not like that's just. I know. I, I'll I, grab I, the I, link I, and I'll drop it in the chat for you here. Oh, great! Well, I titled it like that because I know that's that's the most common question we get yeah. as male performers and even female performers get the same question from their male fans, like, "How do I get a bigger dick?" Right? Yeah. And most people will tell you it's not possible. And even worse, whenever you whenever you click on an ad on any of these tube sites that guarantees you the secret to like doing it, they mm. sell you some friggin' pill which is full of exotic-sounding herbs, mm -hmm. which is no more than like a, a really crappy Viagra. Mm -hmm. It's not going to do jack to actually increase it. And the reason I know this is because I've done it. I it took me eight months of consistent effort, but I grew mine an inch in length and about a third of an inch in girth over the course of eight months of consistent effort. So it's, it's, I know it's Very doable because I've done it. 
Uh, in the book, I also talk about, I sort of, I lead with that because that's what most guys are interested in, but it's kind of a, a choose your own adventure book for men's sexual health. So I cover how to get stronger, longer lasting erections, which is what we need to do in our job to even get paid, right? I talk about improving your testosterone. I talk about improving your cardiovascular system, getting muscular endurance, getting fitter. And I talk about how to please women in the bedroom from the perspective of a guy who has had sex with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of women. Mm. And you see patterns again and again and again in terms of what really gets women off in the bedroom. And I talk about all that in this book. So I is think this, there's, there's basically three years of three years of knowledge condensed into this thing. Is this something that you're familiar with? Bat, bath mate, size, size genetics and other yep. devices? Do you know what he's yep. talking about there? These are all really good devices. Yeah, I thoroughly recommend them. Okay. Um, so we've got the book linked in the chat there. What is the, or sorry, describe the most unpleasant job you've ever had to do. Hmm. Probably fruit picking. Fruit it was picking? Just, it, Where was I'm that? From, my, I'm from a farming town. Okay. So, and my, uh, my, my uncle had, uh, had a farm and yeah, so my summer job was, was going out on the farm and just like spending eight hours in the scorching sun, Australian sun with like, um, you'd always get the first day, like the first day of doing that was one of the worst days of my job because you, you, you were told to wear like thick socks because the, the ground is just covered in all these weeds that like stick in your shoe, in your socks and stuff. Yeah. The first day on the job, scorching heat, you're sitting there all day doing the exact same thing, picking apples and your, your socks are just full of all these birds, which are just sticking into your legs all day. <sighs> <laughs> but it taught it teaches you like an honest day's work it te teaches you what an honest hard day's work is like and do you think that every man should do and do a job that sucks absolutely yeah like one of my one of my old friends from high school he he uh when he left university he went and got deliberately got a job working as a garbage collector and he said it was the best job he'd ever worked because he was up at the crack of dawn. It was physically demanding. So his day started off fantastic compared to everyone else. He was up before everyone else, he exercised, and then he had the rest of the day to accomplish whatever he liked. Mm. Shitty job, but a great experience for him. Perspective, yeah. yeah. I got a, a super chat here from Jeremiah. Uh, what is the commonality of use of, uh, so things like Viagra, Cialis, penile implants in the mm. adult industry the penile implant is a very interesting thing so i don't know how many guys know about this but there's a well i call it the robot dick is that the um, is that the pump because a friend of mine told me that his dad got some kind of implant in his johnson it was like a nike pump like a shoe like you basically yeah. pump it up yeah so really? there's a few there's a few dudes uh this isn't a thing in europe I don't, I don't think I've ever seen, ever met anyone in Europe when I was working out there that had this. Mm. It seems to be only an American thing. But there's a couple of guys. And everyone keeps this very, very secret. Uh, like, no one openly talks about having one. Mm. So you sort of have to figure out who's got one just through, like, rumor and, like, the experience of the girls who've worked with them. Because like, it feels different. Mm. But it, they basically, like, they hollow out the the peanut the penis and put this sort of inflatable tube in there and then they put a pump i think i think either in like one of your ball sacks or like on your hip or something mm -hmm. and, you, and they push it and it inflates and that gives them an erection but it basically i mean the reason that some some of these older dudes in the industry get that is because one they're in their 50s and things have stopped working um and two it makes them unstoppable like they don't fail mm -hmm. ever the, the camera never has to cut so mm. everyone loves hiring them. So it pays for it. When these guys do it, it pays for itself. It might cost them like 10 grand to get the surgery. They'll make that back within the first month because everyone, like they've gone from being like an average performer to being like unstoppable on screen. Um, mm. In terms of things like Viagra, Cialis, these are all really common. There's not, not everybody uses them though. I, when I got into the industry, I, I was certain that everyone must use this. There's a couple, there's a bunch of dudes who are just, super fit mm -hmm. and this is a lot of what i base my book on is is me learning from these more experienced guys in the industry and learning like what habits they have in their daily life that has caused them to be so good at this job 
and basically to have a, a, a dick that won't go down. Yeah, a lot of guys don't understand the importance of cardiovascular exercise and, and like getting your heart up into like a good range for a good solid, you know, period of time, whether it's 20 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is. But, you know, if you want to, you know, if you want to do good on the workbench upstairs, you got to, you know, you got to put in some time on the treadmill, the bike, you know, running track, whatever. Yeah, man. And that's the thing. When you're, when you're younger, if you're like an athletic guy, if you play lots of sports and you're constantly doing stuff, you're kind of getting that exercise that cardiovascular fitness without even thinking about it yeah when you get into your 30s 40s 50s you if you let that slip you will really notice it i got uh two more questions for you uh shout out to photo man for the super chat because there is no way this is getting monetized you're probably correct <laughs> that's okay <laughs> sorry rich appreciate the tip well i knew what i was getting into when i uh titled this sterling cooper uh, adult film star tells all. You know what? You, uh, okay, here's an idea for you, Rich. Here's what here's something you can do. You can post this this video on Pornhub, and you can make ad revenue on Pornhub because they won't demonetize you. Is that right? That's that's another that's something I didn't talk about with our last chat. That's another way that uh, adult entertainers make money now. Is you can post when I post a video, my own video, on a site like Pornhub, mm -hmm. I get a percentage of the ad revenue. And, I had no idea that you could upload just conversations on that site. I've done that. All the stuff, all the, I haven't got that much on my YouTube channel. I, I, when I was in Europe, I filmed a few videos. So if I go over here and I, and I look for your channel there, then I can find it. You will have to go to the very, very, like the very last page of my videos. You will hmm. see uh, totally safe for work stuff on my Pornhub channel that I have been paid for in ad revenue. Look at that. It's just, it's almost like YouTube. Yeah. Huh. Very, very similar. All right. I'll leave that open and check that out later. Um, I got two more questions for you before we go. As you've gotten older, what has become more important and what has become less important to you? Women have become less important to me. How so? Well, primarily because like the more sex, when you, when you've started having more sex in your life, not just like, not just uh, regularly, but in total, right? Mm -hmm. When your notch count goes up, they just women sort of lose the uh, the 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 flair they had over you, the power they had over you before, right? Mm -hmm. It's not as in like once you've had. I think a lot of for me, being a younger man, I didn't get laid very much. You know, when I was really young. How old were you when you lost your virginity? I actually, well, I lost my virginity early. I lost my virginity at 16. Okay. Actually, not 15. I lost it at 15. But I was with that same girl for like three years. Terrible relationship. Like super blue pill. Terrible relationship. Absolute beta. And then I went on a, a real big dry spell, right? Mm -hmm. And it was that kind of uh, me having all this, like had all these sort of sexual fantasies I wanted to, to play out in real life. Having never got getting to do those in my early twenties is kind of what put me in this position now. Like wanting that that created that kind of desire and that drive, right? Mm -hmm. But once you've experienced the kind of things you fantasize about, it loses its power over you. Mm -hmm. right? So it becomes less important. It's like okay, well, and and ironically, the less you give a shit about it, the more it comes to you as well. Mm -hmm. Which yeah, is another, like that's a big thing I learned in my late twenties was like the less I, the less I want it, the more it comes to me, man. Was there ever a time where you felt performance anxiety when you're getting into it with women? Not in my personal life on set. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it happens on set. Yeah. Every, every male performer in the industry has had a day when he is flopped. What yeah. do you do then? You just reschedule or they throw you a couple of pills or what? Well, so if it's real, like sometimes it'll, it'll, it'll just be a bad day where it goes up and down. Right, mm. you'll get through it. You'll get the thing done, fine. Mm. But there's been a, I've had like one or two situations where I just couldn't finish it. They dock your pay, they send you home, and unfortunately, you never work for that person ever again. Oh, That's, really? It's very you. You sink or swim as a guy in this industry, um, especially if it's your first shoot with somebody. You cannot ever fail your first shoot as a male performer, because. Um, Reputation is everything in this industry. If you fail that shoot, they will never book you again because they just wasted a ton of money. They didn't get a product out of it. 
Mm. And then they'll tell everybody else that you failed and they will not hire you either. Mm. So you can, however, I have had situations where I've failed on like my third or fourth shoot with a particular company. This is very, very early on in my career when I was still learning the trade, right? Uh, and that doesn't, that doesn't stuff up your career. But mm -hmm. if, that, if you fail that first one, and it's kind of why it puts even more pressure on you, if you fail that first one, you're done. You're out. Yeah. Um, uh, the second half to your question, it was... Yeah, uh, so, the, so the first part was, what do you care less about? Or, uh, what, or what became less important? What's also become more important to you? My health has become a lot more important to me. It's sort of something I took, a lot, I took for granted quite a lot uh, in my early 20s. Was it was it because you ever had it um, exposed to risk or? Um, I had my uh, my mother. Unfortunately, she passed away from cancer a few years ago, and that kind of like when you think about like when someone's dying from cancer, mm -hmm. it's like it's not like someone's died in a car crash where it's just taken from you suddenly. Mm -hmm. It's you're faced with the prospect of looming death over an extended period of time and you're thinking about it every day mm. that really uh put my health at the forefront of my mind so do you do you uh, drink alcohol do you smoke anything or i don't smoke i've never smoked alcohol has been my alcohol has always been my vice yeah. and these last this last year i've really taken an effort to like try to eliminate that out of my life as much as yeah. possible yeah. yeah. Um, so last question before we wrap up, describe an average day and what are your rituals and routines? I don't know if it's an average day for you because you don't work every day, right? Like would it be like an average week maybe you could describe? Yeah. I mean, let's let's just I'm assuming they're gonna talk about they they want to know about a shoot day. Yeah. So let's I'll just describe that. So like average day for me, I get to set at like 10 a.m. I, uh, I do some paperwork. I say hi to everybody. Introduce myself to the girl I'm going to be working with. And, you know, just chit chat with the director. Talk about the scene. We go over the script. Uh, then we start filming the dialogue. We start uh, taking photos of the dialogue pieces. This normally takes a good couple of hours. They take their time with the setup part, so as to get as much like usable footage as they possibly can. Lots of jokes talking shit on set, having a laugh. Uh, then we get to the part where we do the hardcore stuff. That's typically, we do the photographs first. We call them the sex stills. We do those first. That takes about 30, 40 minutes. Uh, then you get dressed again, and then you do that in video form. So like the, the stills are like a dry run, if you will, although not mm. so dry, of what you're going to be doing. Then we get dressed again film all the video for that part i orgasm and then everyone gets to go home mm -hmm. and then i'll come home and it's and it's like gym or, or crossfit or whatever i might have that evening yeah that's a, that's many, a typical shoot day yeah how many times do you film per uh, week uh i shoot about i shoot about 15 days a month and uh, with the whole quarantine stuff right now are you working or is that now everyone's on our, our industry is on lockdown, man. It's it's a very interesting situation because um, I saw an article recently. They were California were thinking of taking because our, our industry is trying to figure out okay how can we go back to work safely because we I mean we deal with STIs all the mm -hmm. time, so we're pretty versed in like how to prevent infection. There hasn't been there hasn't been a HIV transmission on an adult industry set uh, like a pass certified adult industry set for like ten years. Mm. So we're pretty good at it. And so uh, the, the government is actually thinking of taking some advice from the adult industry once we figure out exactly how we're going to do it. But basically, people are allowed to shoot if they have a partner and they live with them. Then like companies are sort of outsourcing work to them. I've had mm. a little bit of work where I do like some Skype stuff. Mm. But that's about it. Yeah. Mm. Everyone's relying heavily on their OnlyFans right now. Interesting. Um, yeah, the Wooly fans thing is a interesting phenomenon. Uh, Jerry, thanks for the super chat, dude. He says, Rich, saw that look on your face. I know you're going to get a bunch of DMs for porn checks once you upload this interview. Keep your 20 red flags handy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got to figure out what the situation is with uh, using that platform for uploading content. Uh, wouldn't make a lot of sense just to do it for one, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take a look at it now that he's mentioned it. Well, so. that's the thing, man. You can, you can, uh, uh, you can title things a bit more risky or risque than you would title them on YouTube. 
Well, yeah, I mean, you could obviously title whatever you want over there, practically. No one's taking your content down on, on Pornhub. That's the difference. Yeah, I guess not. There's no algorithms that are saying, oh, no, you can't watch this. You should be watching a cat video or listening to somebody over here talking about some this nonsense. Yeah. Um, it's been a slice, man. I appreciate you hopping on and um, sharing some of your uh, experiences and the stories around your life and how you've played to win and what that looked like. And, yeah, it's been a good one. Um Hang on after we go off air because I want to talk to you for a couple minutes. But cool. um, yeah, guys, thanks for watching this. Actually, real quick, I got a shout out to the channel sponsor. Um, just tilt this over here a little this way and say hi to the guys over at uh, Grondike Soap. Um, slide my finger across. And if you go to coopersoap.com, uh, the coupon code's already actually applied. But if you're going to hit the link uh, pinned in the top description below, uh, you'll get 10% off if you check out with coupons. So this, this stuff over here is all pheromone infused handmade, uh, soap, uh, and they also have a beard oil as well, high quality stuff. And it doesn't disrupt your endocrine system, which is something you definitely want to consider if self-care matters to you. Um, let me throw, hang on. There we go. Sterling's back guys. Thanks for watching. Give it a thumbs up. Um, where can people find you if they want to connect with you after this? Uh, the best way to find me is on Twitter. If they want to order an OnlyFans Skype consult with you or they something. Can, they can even find that on my Twitter. My Twitter is actually uh, safe for work Yeah. Uh, right now. So that's not, you don't, you can watch it wherever you want. Uh, yeah, it, I'm at, at, at Sterling Cooper X. Sterling spelled S-T-I-R like it is here on the video. Yeah. yeah there you go. That's me. Uh, S-T-I-R-L-I-N-G Cooper X. So check that out. Uh, he's a pretty funny guy actually online in that space too. So we'll see you guys in the next broadcast. Uh, the next one that I'm doing live will be on Monday, and I've got the fella from Australia who, uh, you know, basically shares his uh, personal experience going on sugar sites and seeking and stuff like that. So we'll talk to you guys on that one. Peace out, guys. Thanks, Sterling. Take care.